have to realize that um, that's one of the reasons people don't want to talk about this is if we really begin to understand who the demand is and who the facilitators are, um, we may be uh, talking about some of our authority figures in, in communities. But based on working with individuals who are impacted by human trafficking, the, the victims and survivors that walk through the doors, there are definitely names that we all know that come up in those conversations. So business to stay hidden is going towards these boys because we're not identifying, we're not talking about it. And we've seen this escalation of young boys trapped in these situations who are now committing suicide because they have nowhere to go. With the global economy being in shambles and central bankers moving towards a reset, it's never been a better time to protect your wealth by owning precious metals. Contact Andy at milesfranklin.com. Tell him Sarah sent you. He promised me he will guarantee you the lowest price anywhere in the country. Remember, email Andy at milesfranklin.com and tell him Sarah sent you. It's never been a better time to protect your future than now. Hi, welcome to Business Game Changers. This is Sarah Westall. I have some pretty profound guests today. I have Becky Rasmussen and Mary Jackson, and they're going to be talking about a topic that's hard to listen to, and it's human trafficking, but the realities of it. We're learning that there are very few resources for true victims, and, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about where you find these uh, pedophiles and perpetrators of this, which is everywhere. And she's going to talk about it from, well, that's Becky Rasmussen, who runs a, an trafficking, human trafficking survivor organization. And then Mary Jackson is a survivor. She's going to talk about her story. And Becky's going to talk about the whole industry at large. I think this is a, an important discussion. We should be having a discussion in the open in many, in all the media circles. But this is something the mass media just won't touch. When you hear about it, it's watered down. It's not the reality of what's really going on. They talk about it as if it's, even if they say it's a, the problem is large, you won't be able to hear that the problem, that they're protecting the problem and that many people in power are involved. That you won't hear anywhere in the regular media. And most of the independent media won't touch this topic anymore because they're censored. That's what censorship does. It keeps people away from talking about the most important things that will help society. This is a real stain on society because this happens and it's growing and it's the, what they use for blackmail amongst the powerful and it's what they are doing at the border and it's happening in every single community. And my gosh, this is something we have to solve yeah, we just can't have a civilized society and have this in the backdrop. This, the people who've listened to my show for a long time knows that human trafficking is a soft spot of mine. Uh, you know, whether you're talking about the simple trafficking that's coming over the border, which isn't all that simple. I've had people on talking about what's happening at the border. To satanic rituals, to blackmail, to the worst offenders there are. So I've kind of covered it all here on the show and it's become a soft spot of mine because it changed my life when I first covered this. I think I, I'll talk about it a little bit during the show, but it really hit me hard and it started making me think about how 
things are really structured and why so much evil we do have a lot of problems and why so much evil is flourishing right now and it comes to the heart of how they're able to capture powerful people and blackmail them and make decisions sure we have other problems when it comes to legislation and all these immunity clauses that are worldwide and in our country that's another issue. So we got two big issues, the blackmail and the immunity clauses where they've weaponized the legal system. So it's important that we understand the mechanisms that they're using to continue this reign of terror that they have been doing on the people of the world and us here in the United States. Okay, so before we get into this, I want to tell you again, Go to United for Free Speech. I, we have the ad. It's running. We're going to have another ad, too. And there, if you haven't seen it, please look at it. Please share it. Please, please, please share it. We're going to have so many great people that are going to be speaking again. And if you want to buy tickets for Act 1, those those you can watch Act 1 with a ticket. Act 2 will be free. Uh, one of the errors the first time, and then it'll have an encore period, and then the ticket that you buy to watch Act 1 will allow you to watch Act 2, too. So it's a good purchase. And you can lear learn more at unitedforfreespeech.com. And then also, go to sirwestall.com. I just wrote a couple really good articles, if you like to read articles. One on Epstein and what's going on there. The new lawsuit against J.P. Morgan and what's going on in the Virgin Islands. The Virgin Islands gave them a tax incentives of over $100 million. Well, they're claiming it's $80 million. It was $140. Who knows what they really did, but it was millions of dollars of tax incentives to have their business there. But the Virgin Islands are the ones that are suing J.P. Morgan. They were the ones suing for the estate as well. But the attorney general that opened the lawsuit against J.P. Morgan was fired within like two days after opening the lawsuit because the governor claimed he didn't know about it, which I find really questionable. So I write all about that. I guess in the Virgin Islands, the attorney general can be fired by the governor. It's a little bit different here, but you they can there. But read that article. There's another one I wrote about the central bankers finally announcing their worldwide global CBDC and I talk about that and the BRICS and a lot of background on that. I think that one's an important one, too. That one's going kind of viral from my Substack. So if you want to read those two, that's on my website at sarahwestall.com. And check out my affiliates while you're there. And one last thing before we get into the show, Becky Rasmussen and Mary Jackson have a book that they're sharing. It's called Call to Freedom, A Parent's Guide to Understanding Human Trafficking and Healing Their Children. It's for parents. To, to understand how these kids, your kids, are groomed, can be a victim of this. And you need to be aware and make sure, and your neighbors, kids, you just be aware and, and protect our kids. Grandparents, if you're out there, this is an important book for you to get for your family as well. It just everybody needs to understand how they do this and how to protect your kids. So that is available on their website at calltofreedom.org. And now let's get into this, sometimes hard to listen to interview, but important, with Becky Rasmussen and Mary Jackson. Hi, Mary and Becky. Thank you so much for joining the program. Thank you for having us, Sarah. We look forward to the conversation. Well, you know, we just started before we got on air. We talked about how human trafficking is the most censored topic on the planet. 
and it's very sad. You know, you know, I just got done doing a censorship conference and people don't realize how big of a problem human trafficking is. I think a lot of people don't want to hear it because it is such an awful thing to listen to, but they just don't know what's really going on out there because of the censorship. Could you talk about what it is that you do and, and, and how you are really trying to tell people what's going on and struggling a little bit with that? Yeah, uh, Calder Freedom was established in 2016 as a trauma-informed nonprofit that provides comprehensive services to those victimized by or impacted by human trafficking or commercial sexual exploitation. And when we opened the doors, I never imagined how many people would be walking through our doors and the need to be so great. And as we've journeyed life with survivors, we realized that uh, there's a stat that 3% of victims are ever identified. That means that victims typically don't leave those situations, which means one of two things, they never get the help they need or they don't survive those situations. And so this is a very large money-making business for people to exploit people, to use them as a commodity for their personal gain. And so when you're talking with about that large of dollars that are being funneled through different uh, illegal uh, entities, you're talking about something that people don't want to talk about because there's a lot of money to be made. And this thrives when it's in the dark, when we can keep it hidden, when people aren't talking about it, identifying it, victims don't come out because they don't feel like they can be believed in those situations, but also they don't come out because of safety and basic needs, which is a control tactic of traffickers. And so we need to talk about human trafficking. 40 million people are in globally today. And what that means is um, if we don't start talking about it, those individuals don't leave that situation. Well, and how much money is really, are we talking about? Because we know that human trafficking is bypassed drug trafficking as the most lucrative business out there, black market business. How big is it? I don't think we really even know the massive amount of money that is in this. We have stats, $150 billion industry globally, but I don't believe that we have uh, a real indication because survivors aren't coming out. These rings aren't getting prosecuted at the level that we should be. These are very proactive investigations that need to happen. Um, and we're very reactive in these situations when we're doing investigations. Um, the crossover and intersectionality between drugs, um, human trafficking, and guns is happening. So if an organization that's, um, or an organized crime that's doing this business is facilitating drugs, they typically have human trafficking as well. Or and organs. so we don't, I'm sorry? I thought organ trafficking was all in there too. Yeah. And we haven't, you know, I believe that happens. Um, we have not encountered that at Call to Freedom because we're particularly okay. focused on sex and labor trafficking. Now, what do, when we're talking money, how much does somebody get paid to provide a child for sex? Um, it depends on the ring. I think it depends on a lot of factors. They have average from anywhere from 100 to $200 is an average amount that we've seen as far as stats. Um, but we know if the rings are more high scale and they're um, in different, there's different types of rings. So if it's familial trafficking, you're talking about parents or aunts and uncles that are trafficking their own children. That's typically what we see as survival sex. So it's to pay their heat, to pay, pay for their drugs, to pay for those immediate basic needs that people need. They are selling their children. Mm -hmm. And 
then you hear about gangs that are kind of on that middle tier who are facilitating this. And then you have cartel where there's a lot more money to be made because those rings look a little bit different and who the buyer and the demand is. And they're the ones that are harder to crack in the sense that um, they're protected by the more powerful a lot of times. Whereas the more money you have, the more influence you have. And cartel rings and gang rings, they have the money to be able to influence people. And sometimes, you know, some of that demand is people in authority, people that are in some of those areas. And so we have to realize that um, that's one of the reasons people don't want to talk about this is if we really begin to understand who the demand is and who the facilitators are, um, we may be uh, talking about some of our authority figures in, in communities. Well, and have you ran into that? Have you ran into, because my, my understanding on, on whistleblowers that I talk to are people, as soon as they get too close to those that are in power, that's when they start seeing the pressure and people trying to shut them down. Yeah. I mean, I believe that we have experienced that. We haven't had any uh, full-blown investigations where people have been prosecuted. So I can't say in federal, you know, based on federal yeah. statutes and investigations, but based on working with individuals who are impacted by human trafficking, the the victims and survivors that walk through the doors, there are definitely names that we all know that come up in those conversations. Yep. Yep. And names that, that you would, yeah, that we all know. And it's much more prevalent than we want to believe, but with the rich and the powerful for some, it's their blackmail technique. So they tend to get involved and they promote people who are more, who are in those circles because then they're more blackmailable. Yeah, it's that's what I, and that and that's what the evidence that you've seen on the ground with people walking in your doors. You know, traffickers in general control people um, through a variety of different ways. Um, they build that trust. They get they become the sole provider for their needs. So their basic needs, their housing, um, they control their identification. And so what we see is traffickers will build that relationship with those individuals that they're going to exploit. So they're easier to keep in those situations. And then they're also um, are easier to control because they introduce them to those control factors. So I think what we're seeing is, um, you know, those trafficking pieces is is definitely one of those worlds where um, it's about a lot of money and it's business. And, and we don't talk about that. We don't talk about the demand drives what the business looks That's for. Right. And so the demand is the person who is saying, if I want a blue eyed, blonde haired girl who's from the Midwest and doesn't have addiction issues, because that's what's going to sell. That's what that trafficker is going to go get. They're going to get whatever the demand um, is looking for, and they can make a lot of money. The latest that we've seen is boys, young boys, um, sextortion, this increase of targeting young boys, because number one, there aren't services for boys um, in males throughout the United States. There's very limited services. Number two, we don't talk about it. We don't brand it. We don't talk about boys being fallen pr- uh, prey to human trafficking in those situations. And so we we are not talking about, so that's where they're going. So business to stay hidden is going towards these boys because we're not identifying, we're not talking about it. And we've seen this escalation of young boys trapped in these situations who are now committing suicide because they have nowhere to go. Yeah, they're it's like the Johnny ex- Gosh of the world. Keep going. Yeah. 
And and so what what we need to do is break the silence over this. And, and that's why our book was written by Ruth and Mary is because parents don't understand how this is facilitated. We got Hollywood giving it an image, which sometimes that happens like taken. But now traffickers have changed the way that they are recruiting and targeting young individuals and they want to stay hidden. And they also know vulnerabilities within our laws, our legislations, and vulnerabilities aren't just in individuals, they're also in our environments and in circles that we can prosecute these. So we need to talk about the whole circle of trafficking because we're going to have more victims than we've ever had in, in any time in this world because this amount of money and the, the ability to facilitate this in the dark. How much do they pay for these young boys and how old are they? It varies. Um, we work, I can speak to what we're seeing. I don't think there's correct stats because it's um, so under talked about and so underserved. But what we're seeing is um, anybody who's on social media, the latest technique is to um, build a relationship with these young boys. This person will be what they call in a boiler room. Um, it's in a third world country. So they're doing this all behind the scenes, not in the United States. And so these individuals are paid eight hours a day to perp your children. And so they will sit on a computer and have a false identity. identity so there'll be a young girl saying, I'm looking to build a relationship with you. They'll gain these young boys trust and they'll have them send them a nudie pic uh, for a sextortion piece. And these boys will send those pictures and then they'll disclose, I'm not a girl, I'm a male. And now you're gay. And I'm going to expose this to everybody you know, if you don't continue to send me pictures. And so what we've seen is number one, then they'll get mom's credit card um, and the sextortion piece and, and take lots of money from this family before they exploit this young kid. And then we've also seen where they continue to get pictures and they sell those into pornography circles. Um, and you can never get that back as a young person. And then they'll begin to control them. And in some cases, they've drawn them to them. So they'll give them a one-way ticket to wherever they're at to pull them into worse circumstances. So what we want to do and why um, the book was written um, that we're talking about today is because we want parents to know how to safeguard your children. We don't want to create fear. We want to create awareness. And we want to be able to step in and create prevention so that individuals are not pulled into these situations. And all also intervention. So if you are a mother or father um, that is navigating this with your young boy or young girl, there are resources out there to be able to help you to navigate those situations so it doesn't go to that next level where your child disappears. So Mary, what was your experience with trafficking? You were a victim yourself. Yes, um, I would have said, and I'm classified as the girl next door, so I went to a local Christian high school, uh, started out in a local Christian college. And for reasons, I left the borders of my state, very naive, uh, very vulnerable in the fact that I wanted to be accepted, wanted to have friends. I just never felt like I did. And when I moved to the East Coast to be a nanny, I happened to enter a really dark world, very evil world. I met someone on the beach one night and a group of new friends. And they really lured me in to being accepted when my own family and some other um, 
people in my life just didn't accept me or that verbal abuse that I received. Because your vulnerability really is what traffickers look for. And they prey on that vulnerability. So trafficking looks different for a lot of different people. Mine just would have been more of the girl next door. And when I met this um, evil man, he was actually from Colombia. I thought he was from Cuba, but I would have no clue uh, what country he would have been from. But when my family rejected me due to um, circumstances that we could probably talk about for a while, um, I just couldn't return home. And when I couldn't return home, I really felt I had nowhere to go other than these new friends accepted me. And I became a part of a new family. And they were super nice to me, took care of me. And all of a sudden I felt like I belonged somewhere. I didn't have an addiction. I just felt I didn't, I didn't fit in. I don't even know why I didn't fit in. Then they started to turn on you and use your situation. What happened? So you would, how did it? Well, I, yeah, I, I became pregnant when I went out on the East coast. I had a new boyfriend. I, he really uh, said to me when I told him, Hey, I'm, I'm pregnant. And he said, well, you're going to have an abortion if you're going to stay with me. Mm. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he said, well, in order to stay with me, that's what you have to do. And I've got 10 other girlfriends and I'm like, what? So I called my, my dad and I said, dad, this is my situation. And he said, you can't come home. Oh, I own, okay. I own a business. No, it's, he's it's passed away. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, he's passed away. Um, and we have made peace with all of that. But he just said, I, I own a very prominent business here in our state and it didn't look good for the community. And it, it, I was a shame uh, mm. to, to the family. So I just really felt I had nowhere to go. Did you, so, did you end up getting an abortion? No, okay. uh, I turned to this new group of friends like, Hey, I can't go home. I'm pregnant. And that was their way of really starting to groom me and manipulate me. So we don't use the word really grooming. It sounds positive. It actually starting to manipulate me that they were the only ones that cared about me and that my family didn't. And then what happened after that? You had your baby. Yep. I had my baby. I married one of the um, evil men in this uh, group. And from there, it starts out slow for, for myself. It doesn't always do that way, but that cycle of abuse and that grooming manipulation. And from there, your brain really starts to get rewired where you're going to do anything. You start having a bond with people and we call it a trauma bond. So we're connected with them thinking we have nowhere to go. Uh, they're the only ones that take care of us. So when they ask us and tell us to do something or we're going to get beat or we're going to get raped or we're not going to be taken care of, you do as you're told because you feel you have nowhere to go. So what ended up happening to you? Did you become a, a prostitute at that point? Um, we say in the world of survivors that prostitution, we kind of go with that you're being prostituted um, because it was our choice, even though sure. it led to yes, yes. our choice. And I was not on the streets. 
there's a lot of forced criminality in my case. I actually had a federal case. So the cartel, when they are in the world of sex trafficking, which is labor and sex trafficking, they use that. It all goes hand in hand. So it could be drugs. It could be uh, sex trafficking. It could be arms dealing, whatever. People don't really understand, I think, everything that's involved behind the, I would say, car cartel trafficking. And they used me. They looked for a Midwestern girl, I was told, by the cartel. They used my name. They took away my documents. I was forced to do things. But yet, I didn't think I was forced to do things. It's it's kind of, it, it's difficult if you're not in that situation to understand it's more than domestic violence because people say, why didn't you just leave the situation? I've heard that many times. Yeah. Or, I mean, I'm a smart cookie. I'm not, um, I'm very book smart. I was very na naive, but I became so dependent. All my basic needs were being met. Um, I felt I had nowhere to go. And from that, yes, the trafficking started the parties where I was exchanged. I don't know. There was never, I never saw any exchange of dollars or anything, but if a drug deal had gone good or somebody owed somebody money, but you're, you're at parties, um, not out on the street walking or going into casinos um, or in like the Las Vegas style or they show on pretty woman. It's not like that. Um, the movie taken, it's not like that. You just feel that this is your new family and it becomes normal. Did you find yourself being exchanged for um, with people of power or other cartel members or what was it that they yeah. like to use you for? Um, whatever that they needed at the time. So it wasn't some of the people, the, the buyers control the market, uh, how the cartel put it to me. Uh, whatever is in demand is what they are looking to sell. So I had been told that the Americans wanted flowers. So they sent us flowers. They wanted coffee, sent us coffee. They wanted drugs. They send drugs and they want the trafficking, the sex trafficking and labor trafficking. And so they find those and that's, it's a buyer's market for them. It's business. It is not considered, no one considers the victim in it. Well, and so, so, but who, who were you sold to? Um, I don't name names. Um, but I don't from know. From a category. Like, um, oh, I would say anyone from business owners, um, law enforcement, uh, people higher up, I would say. Uh, so all the powerful people within that community in the area you were in. Did you go yeah, to different states? Go ahead. Yeah, I was in different states. I was in Florida all the way up to New York, Chicago. And then, of course, I moved to um, Columbia when I was pregnant. So I did move back to Columbia and I and I lived there. Did your um, did you eventually age out? Did they say that you no longer was were as yeah. No, because you know, I, I don't think people would sell me, <laughs> oh. you know, I mean, you know, so just because of my age, but when I was young, probably, I mean, is there a point where you aged out? Um, no, 
I had a forced criminality in my case. So I was used in many different ways. So bes okay. besides, there's a lot of forced criminality behind sex and labor trafficking. What so do you I mean was by that? There's, if they're dealing drugs or if they're dealing arms, they get the victim to do a lot of their work for them. That makes sense. Yeah. So you and, would be trafficking, you would be bringing the arms to the dealer and then you would be sold sex to them as well, maybe, or something. Yeah. There's a lot of different circumstances in how it's not a cookie cutter approach, I should say. Sense. It's just what they can make money. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the money. Now, well, how did you protect your, did you protect your baby during this process? Um, I had, I wanted to leave at the very end. I had a child and I said, I, I want to go home. I don't know. I don't understand what's happening. This is just beyond my understanding. This just doesn't seem like I, I belong here. I don't know. I, I need help. I did reach out and nobody was able to help me. My son was born in South America. So you have the laws of the land there. Oh. And I, my son was taken from me at two months old and I was forced to commit crime here in the United States. And I was arrested and had a federal case. Um, during that time, it was very difficult. Um, we could have a whole probably podcast on what all happened to me during that. But when I came home, my son was still in Colombia. So we did get my son back after two years. That's, and that's great. It's probably okay. another whole podcast. No, but then, no, that's <laughs> wonderful. Now, did he end up living with you or what ended up happening with yeah. your son? So my son was two years old. So um, that's a wonderful there's, story. There's a lot of wonderful people in my case that years ago, nobody discussed trafficking. Nobody talked about it. Nobody openly talked about that. It's not like the movie Taken in Pretty Woman. It is so more complex than that. So when I came home, people were like, oh, something bad happened to you. We don't understand. But there were no services. There were no agencies like Call to Freedom. You just had to move on. But I had, I needed a lot of help. The psychiatrist didn't have a clue, did they? Nobody talked about it. Nobody said a word. And it was like, well, you made these choices. You have to live with it. And I'll just move on. But I did have some great people in my case uh, from law enforcement and our, our state here in South Dakota that we did get my son back. Now, I can openly talk about it now because my ex has been murdered and oh, the people geez. in my case have been murdered or in, in prison. So at that time, it was different people that were a part of the cartel and who led it. I didn't know these people, but I knew and I knew them because everyone has a nickname, but I didn't have interactions with them on things, but I knew them and I'd been around them many times. Um, so when I came home, it was a very much of a struggle because everyone wanted to keep me quiet. No one wanted me to talk about anything, discuss anything. So I walked a journey all by myself. And it wasn't until I was connected with Call to Freedom through a uh, mutual friend that I started saying, what is happening here? I am identifying with every single survivor that is starting new chapters. And I'm not sure why, because I get it. I get what they're saying to me. 
and I'm processing this. I'm going back to my counselor. And I finally said, holy crap, these people used me. They, they beat me. They did horrific things to me and they trafficked me. Now, is it because people need to, when they try to move on, it's almost a shame. Were you shamed or I was very ashamed, um, fear. I had a son, you, you know, with a trafficker, drug dealer. And I just had, I just wanted to like curl up in a corner and cry and just be like, I don't stand anything, but I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. So it was like this lonely journey until I started to meet other people. Not that they went through what I went through, but that we understood each other and how we became vulnerable. Everybody has their own vulnerabilities. Trafficking does not know boundaries. People are more vulnerable, but it just doesn't know any boundaries. So to say it would never happen to somebody is incorrect. My parents would have never thought their daughter would have been trafficked. Sure, yeah. You need to help your kid when your kid needs help and and because otherwise they become vulnerable. So yeah. your your son, is he did he is he doing good? Yes, and my son has had to deal with also knowing uh, he graduated from college. He lives in another state. He does very well and good. he supports me. He knows the truth. Because you have to speak the truth. Yep, yep. It has to come out. And so I don't have that fear anymore. And so he has also received help knowing that he is the child of a trafficker. Okay. And so that's a whole separate topic. That is, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good. I'm glad you you were able to get him back and to be his mom, right? That's a miracle. That is a miracle. And I, boy, there are some great people that said, this is not right. There is something so wrong in all of this. And I'm glad that they saw that. Um, and I understand that people don't understand, but it means you don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to put fear into yourself. You need to openly discuss it and bring it to the table, talk about it. And that's what we are doing. Yeah. So that's great. I'm glad you're here. And I want to ask you, Becky, how prevalent is this? It, it you know, why or do we have so much demand for this? What What's going on? It's not just the, I, I do know I've studied this a lot and I covered it a lot, that the powerful are promoted for the very fact that they are blackmailable. And it's, it's, it's a culture, an incestuous culture of the most powerful people and politicians and stuff. We have a very big issue right now with that. But the demand is much broader than that small percentage. It's everywhere. How did we get to this point where the demand for young people is so, and even young women and young men, how did we get to this point where people want to buy this? I think there's a variety of different reasons. Um, pornography is one of those um, when COVID hit, we saw this escalation of pornography use because people were in their homes. It was happening before that. Um, but what we saw is um, as you get into pornography, you never fulfill that need. And the need continues to get more and more. And I think also our culture has 
uh, created this dynamic that um, evil is good and good is evil. And so we're we're looking at this sexualization of kids in in variety of different ways, not only on social media, um, in our schools, but also we're looking at um, where they're um, making young kids a commodity um, in a variety of different ways. And so I think our media has lent to that. I think pornography has lent to that. And I think no accountability has lent to that. We don't hold the demand accountable. We don't do investigations in depth to our demand. And when there is an accountability with people and life in general, especially right. with those that are purchasing people, then they feel, I have actually watched in our community at a gas station, a man by a young woman. I saw him exchange the money. I heard where they were going. And people don't have a fear because there is an accountability with this. And, and there's a lot of vehicles now that, like Mary said, you just, they're not on the street. You have social media. There's ways in private that you can facilitate this business. And this dynamic that if we don't do proactive investigations, we are not catching these circles. And where things, where illegal activity thrives is where it doesn't have accountability. And we need to talk about human trafficking. We need to have those conversations because our kids are vulnerable to these individuals that are facilitating this business. And the almost a vast majority of these victims aren't there on their own desire. I mean, they like the media actually portrays it and they have historically that these people choose to be there, but that's not the case, is it? No. You know, um, the traffickers like to make them believe that, like Mary was talking about her case and where she didn't realize what was happening to her because there's this manipulation, which in, in the anti-human trafficking, they call it grooming. We prefer to call it manipulation. And so as individuals are manipulated, that they control them in those environments. And so trafficking survivors or victims don't identify usually until later or they come out of those situations or they see a presentation because of this manipulation that's utilized. And so um, it's not fair for us not to talk about it because the amount of victims that are in trafficking today, we need to break the silence over this. This is somebody's child. This is somebody's grandchild that are in these situations. They are, you know, your, your three-year-old doesn't wake up one day and say, hey, I want to be a prostitute or I want to be a sex worker. They don't do that. Nobody and wants so to somewhere, be that. No. And, and so, you know, something over the course of their life, there are people who choose this later in life, but based on our work, we've seen that they've had a history of trauma at some point in time in their life that led them to that choice. But there's always this sexual abuse or these ACEs scores that we're talking about, adverse childhood effects and experiences that we need to talk about. And I think the other thing that is keeping things in silos is because parents don't allow a safe place for their kids to disclose. And just as we talk about Mary, she didn't have a safe place to go. And we have to create a safe place for, for those that are being um, victimized and are vulnerable um, through a variety of different ways. Because if we're not having the conversations and we're not creating those safe places, those traffickers will be identifying those vulnerable populations and pulling them into situations. So if we don't, as parents, have the conversation, somebody else will with your children. And because the pornography is getting so um, extreme, 
right? Everybody wants more and more and more. Uh, I've been told that the what they're buying is more and more extreme. It, 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 are you seeing that based on your work? You know, it's an evil world. Um, I just, I, I just worked with, I would love to see in our state, we don't have this yet, uh, a demand reduction program. If there's a first offender, there's a, there seems to be a disconnect with the buyers that this person isn't willing that, that this person wants this. And so when, when you put it into their terms where this could be your child or your grandchild, would you buy that person? And there's this disconnect and pornography has led into this unobtainable, imaginable fantasy for people. And as the fantasy increases, so does the the evil and the uh, lust behind it. And, and so we need to really look at the whole circle of anti-human trafficking. This human trafficking movement is that if we don't address the demand um, and also the business, we're going to have more victims than we've ever had. And we can't just keep serving those individuals that are victimized um, without addressing the whole cycle or else we're not going to have enough services to be able to effectively fight this. Because it's so big. It's so bad. How, what percentage, I'm just going to throw this out there. What percentage of people do you think are, are involved? First of all, let me ask you this. Are women buying, buying sex? Oh, yes. This is not gender-based women it's, and males. Yes. And I think people need to realize involved. that people think it's just men and it's not, it's both women and men. It's more men, right? But there's a lot of women doing this too. Yeah. I think again, because we don't talk about it, because this is such new work, we don't even know the, the, the dynamic of what we're dealing with. We know because we work with the victims and we hear the conversations and we hear how this is being facilitated. But as a community, as a nation, I don't think we understand the, the level and the, the numbers associated with it. Yes, I would say men are, are definitely there, but you have to understand too, women are involved with this and sometimes move up in the business. And so what we see is it's a facilitation of a business. So if we've had where young girls have missed their mom and their mom wasn't in their life. And so this ring identified that this woman or this young person was lingering for a mother relationship. And so they'll send a mother figure into this person's life to begin the grooming process. And then they gain trust with that person. And that young, usually those women that are in those situations were victims at that some point in time, but have moved up in the business. And this has become part of their life. And that's what and we so saw with that. You know, it was the grooming happened with the other girls and the women, but are the women buying the sex as well? Yes, we are seeing both because pornography is not only viewed That's by right. men, it's viewed by women That's and right. they have the same response as well. Yes. And are they bringing, um, are you seeing an escalation on, um, violence towards them? during the sexual process like are, and you say that some people a lot of these don't make it out alive is that because there's more violence going it's, on it's unbelievable what we're seeing what these individuals and and emergency departments calling our team and somebody sorry being stabbed and beaten so badly that they are face down in a parking lot and people just walk past them oh, and the the um the rape, the violence, the the lack of humanity 
that's involved with these cases. Um, it's difficult work. You know, for me, I just, I can't understand and I can't go there, you know, to continue to do the work. I can't understand how somebody thinks that's okay to treat another human being in this violent way. But somewhere in our society, there's a lot of disconnects with what is appropriate and not appropriate. And there's not a, a regards for humanity that we've seen. So we've seen cases where, you know, violent beatings, rapes, cages, uh, satanic rituals, um, stabbings um, to control those individuals. And then sometimes when the people are buying the sex, they escalate to these violent situations. So not only are those young girls getting beaten by their trafficker, they're also getting beaten by the demand side. And so when you're beaten down so much, um, not only physically, but verbally, um, it's you don't leave those situations for a variety of different reasons. And so we have to realize that we, we need to talk about this and we need to be proactive and we need to um, address that whole cycle of, of human trafficking. So what percentage of people are involved in this, would you say? I mean, I know it's so hard, but I are we talking 10% of the population? I mean, what are we talking about? You know, it's really hard because we're talking about sex and labor trafficking. So human trafficking is not just the exploitation of sexual work. Um, it is also the exploitation of labor. And so we're talking about unidentified cases all over the United States because most people don't even know how to prosecute a labor trafficking case. So this has only been put into federal statute early 2000s. States are trying to figure this out and anti-human trafficking groups, there aren't a lot of service providers out there. And it's so slavery. to put a number to this, it, it, it is it's slavery. It's just slavery. It human trafficking, we should probably use the right word. It's right. slavery, but it, we're calling it human trafficking. It's another way of whitewashing what's really happening, but it's slavery. Um, I think too, for, you know, we try to look in, in, in the view of a, a survivor and, and we use our language just based that on the survivor. Sense. Yeah. That, and that, so I, I, I see that person differently. I see that person as their view of themselves being distorted. I see the person as somebody that somebody didn't value, which wasn't right. Um, Mary's story provides hope. And yeah, a lot yeah. of victims in human trafficking don't have hope, especially in cartel. And we need to talk to survivors out there that there is hope for you, that you don't have to stay in those situations. And there are people like Call to Freedom that want to help you and will do all that we possibly can to be able to transition you out of that life into a better life that you fully deserve. So Mary, do you help others too now? Is that what you do? Because it's it's great to ha see you here and to be so strong. Are you helping other survivors? Yes, uh, through Call to Freedom, I do mentor a lot of uh, female survivors and I do chat sometimes with the male survivors so that we first come out, we are victims and then we lead on to being a survivor, but we want more than that because we are more than that. That's right. Uh, that's and then we go on to thriving in life. And then our last word we kind of use in the survivor world is overcomer. So we have overcame so much and we now thrive in life. We have, quote, use that and turn that suffering and evilness around. And that is a very difficult thing to do. Not everybody can do it. I do do it also 
for all of those that I know, and it makes me cry, that I have met on my journey that have not made it. Yeah. Because it was just too difficult. And who have been murdered and who are young. And it's just a struggle. So I do give back to know that they are worth it. They're a human and that they matter and that people care and that they're more than how they were defined, whether by society or the group or their family or whomever, they are more than that. And that we, and I love them unconditionally. So. Do we have men who volunteer as well then for the male? Yeah, we survivors. do. We need more. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we, you know, the male survivors, yes, we do work with survivors who help our program development oversee, um, have, can provide support groups. Um, they're unfortunately they're not locally, but we work on a national level with other survivors who consult and be able to provide that, um, and come alongside us in that work. I think young males, it's such a new topic. There aren't a lot of programs out there, um, based on, you know, my research and, and those that we've talked to less than a handful of services are out there specifically for boys and males. Are they more it's, shamed? Are they? Yes. Yes. They, it's they hard to break, you know, yeah. just as I talked about this cycle that we're seeing, um, that they are then saying, I'm going to tell everybody you're gay. Well, we have a stereotypical in our communities that, you know, if you're gay, you're an outcast. And so that's another way to pull them into a vulnerability, even though it's a lie. So then they're shamed not only by their activity that they thought that they did, um, but they were actually coerced into do. Um, they're also shamed with the fact that they may be labeled as, you know, somebody who is LGBTQ um, when they're not. And so it's this mastermind of manipulation and control. Um, and not only is it shame, it's guilt um, and the lack of services and understanding and how best to walk us alongside survivors of, of men that are survivors of trafficking. I know my first interview is probably the most traumatic thing I've ever done uh, was my interview with Scott, the survivor. I think it changed my life. It was in 2016. His father was um, one that got kids for all the people around in California it's an amazing story, his story. And uh, it, it, he, there's a lot of boys in this. And it became very clear to me how many boys, the boys are in those circles, the boys are just as much in demand as the girls. Absolutely. I would agree with that. And I think in this time and age, even more because of the lack of services, the silos that service providers are in, and uh, a lack of wanting to disclose because of that shame and guilt. And so we we need to do a better job we as, as service providers, as groups, we need to do a better job of being inclusive and not alienating or having them even just feel like they're alienated um, from being get, getting services or beyond that. And so um, I would challenge our circles to get educated, to understand, but also to be more welcoming and inclusive with those circles as well. Okay, guys, how can they get hold of you? How can they get the book? The book is important for all parents. Uh, how can yeah, how can they learn more about you and buy your book? 
Yeah. Calltofreedom.org. Um, you can go and learn a little bit more about Call to Freedom and the work that we're doing. But also to order the book, you can also go to calltofreedom.org. It's titled A Parent's Guide to Understanding Human Trafficking and Healing Their Children. And you can also get it on Amazon. We launched as a bestseller on Amazon the first day. Um, so we are seeing a lot of demand for this book. And we want to get it into the hands of as many people as possible. So it's priced not to make money. It's priced to get into the hands of people so that they can be equipped and be able to prevent these situations or intervene. So calltofreedom.org, our website has all of that available. It's just a new thing. People don't know about it. And so that's why people want this book. There's these organizations. There's one thing I didn't talk to you about in this is this is another pattern that I've seen is that a lot of the nonprofits, unfortunately, in in the past, um, and probably still today, are actually part of the trafficking network. They're fronts for the trafficking networks. And they might be good to take down small potatoes and small, uh, or their competitors, maybe, to make it look like they're doing something. But they're, they've actually made the whole problem worse because they're part of the process. Yeah. Um, I would say that there's a problem when Call to Freedom gets calls from Ohio, uh, Michigan, New York of survivors that can't find help. And so that tells me that either A, we don't have enough service providers out there doing this work, or B, some they're not really doing the work they're saying. And That's so right. we collaborate with a lot of people that do great work. So I'm not speaking to every anti-human yeah, trafficking group, um, but for the ones that aren't, um, it, it's a shame because these are human beings that deserve to have every opportunity to do well. And we need to be better at what we do as um, anti-human trafficking supports. And I see a lot of people that do the prevention and education, which needs to happen, but we need people doing services and we need people doing services well. And so if you are one of those people, shame on you, because <laughs> one day there will be a judgment. And um, it's our job today to just make sure that there's hope for those that are in hopeless situations. Well, if they're going to traffic a human being, there's they've already committed their soul to doing that. They'll lie about being a charity. I mean, you know, they're already lowered themselves to traffic human beings. There's no reason that they wouldn't lie about their whether they're genuine or not. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, okay, well, go ahead. You want it's unfortunate that that traffickers know the best way to facilitate this. They are masterminds and um, it's all about the money. They're and ahead so of us. Find, yeah. And, and, you know, living life with survivors, it takes a long time for them to trust. And I don't blame them. Um, they've been failed by the systems. They've been, been failed by people they thought they could trust. Um, and so we just have to realize that um, we need to do it better than others. That's right. And thank you so much, Mary, for joining the program and sharing your story today with us. Really appreciate it. And Becky, for all of your hard work and they can get the book at, at, do you make more money if they buy it from your website than from Amazon? You know, we just make it easy. Um, they can go to Amazon or our website. So either one, um, it's the same price. So okay. um, we'd list it that way. So call to .org or you can purchase it on Amazon. It's called to freedoms, a parent's guide to understanding human trafficking and healing their children. Thank you so much. And you guys have a blessed and beautiful day. Thank, Thank you, you Sarah. So much for Thank you.